him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. Love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, his child and forever I am. Then turn over to hymn number 13. Our theme song for the conference, Bow the Knee. Let's stand as we sing that. Hymn number 13. What a privilege to come into God's presence. Just to linger with the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee. Bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages, bow the knee. before him when I humbly seek his face and bow the knee bow the knee bow the knee there you go bow the knee he is king of all the ages bow the knee God alone on his throne see him high and lifted up and bow the knee Thank you. You may be seated. Well, tonight we're going to take a couple of moments again here in the early part of the service to talk a little bit about our walk with God. What a man is, what a woman is with his or her God determines what they really are. It has been well said, no person will ever be any greater than their prayer life. And that's why we're focusing some attention this week on this matter of our walk with God. You know as well as I do that the 21st century has moved us into the fast lane. We're overdosed on adrenaline. We're energized by power naps. We're nourished by power bars. We're always sipping and slurping on energy drinks, trying to just keep up. And unfortunately, many of us have lost our ability to find the rest area on the freeway. And may I quickly say, that's why our walk with God so often deteriorates into such a pitiful, pitiful effort. Well, how do you begin to deal with busyness? Busyness. 
Folks, I want to take you tonight to one verse of Scripture from the life of Jesus, Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. It's interesting that of the four gospel writers, Mark is the one who condenses it all into the fewest chapters. Mark is the shortest of the four gospels, just 16 chapters. And there's a very real sense in which it's sort of a fast-paced, hurry-up account of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's interesting that if you study the gospel of Mark, over 40 times you will find one of three words, straightway, forthwith, or immediately. And interestingly enough, they all come from the same root word and just mean in a hurry. Well, that's probably nowhere more obvious than in Mark chapter 1, which is simply a one-day account of the ministry of Jesus. And you find him throughout this day moving from place to place, He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's delivering, he's ministering. And even that night, we're told that when the sun did set, and then you can only imagine, large crowds came again. The whole city, verse 33 says, gathered together at the door. Would you agree with me that that represents a rather full day in the life of Jesus? Very likely it represents a very late night in the life of Jesus. But then we come to verse 35. And the verse says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Three things that Jesus valued greatly in his life are found in this verse. Number one, Jesus knew the value of a quiet time. He understood that it wasn't enough just to try and find time. He had to make time. Did you notice how the scripture says it? Rising early. A great while before day. He went to bed late the night before, but he's up early the next morning. I've concluded that we'll get up early for things that really matter. But of course, there are always those who right now say, yeah, but you don't understand, I'm not a morning person. Folks, you will always have time for what's important in your life. There is enough time in every day for everything that is the will of God. Jesus knew that he needed to make an appointment to set aside a designated time to meet with the Heavenly Father. But notice, if you will, secondly, Jesus knew the value of a quiet place. The Bible says it very clearly. He departed into a solitary place. A solitary place means a place of aloneness. Isn't it interesting that we have become very sociable in our generation? We're always connected to everybody. 
whether it's a post on our Facebook or a group text or the ability at any moment to speed dial anyone we want to talk to. We're always in touch. But you know what I've learned? Sometimes you've got to disconnect before you can reconnect. And Jesus chose a place quiet, undisturbed, undistracted. Study his life. Study his prayer life. We find him in the mountains, in the wilderness, in a garden. Reference again and again to him being alone. I had a teacher in Bible college in a Life of Christ course who said that great men and women of God rush from the limelight to be alone in the presence of their God. Jesus knew that. Can I be a bit personal? Earlier this year, I walked into my parents' house. It's interesting that my dad is 80 years old. My mother is getting closer to 80 in another year or two. Dad was forced to resign from his church in September because of two very serious heart attacks that occurred this summer and limited his health. But I remember through the years at times thinking to myself, what is it that keeps my folks going on a day-to-day basis? I happened to walk into their house and they weren't there. And all of a sudden, I saw it. My mother's glider rocker, my dad's little couch, And still in the middle of the day was laid out all their tools for their time with God. You know, I walked around the house and I looked at both places. And then I went and I took a picture of both places. And a little bit later that day, I sent those two pictures to one of my brothers. And I said, look at this. See if you can figure out. And he texted me back. Mom and Pop still in pursuit of Creator God. No back down with those two legends. What we are with God determines what we are. Jesus knew the value of a quiet place. Finally, Jesus knew the value of a quiet heart. He goes out at a special time, goes out to his special place... But then the verse says, and there prayed. Folks, there's nothing quite like connecting and communicating with God the Heavenly Father. You talk about something that will bring a calmness, a quietness, a serenity into your life. Oh, the blessing of talking to the Lord in prayer. Well, folks, we're going to take just a moment and do that tonight as we did last night. And I want to challenge you again to just either by yourself or with someone near you, take a moment and say, God, slow me down. Slow me down enough that I can get to the quiet time at the quiet place and have a quiet heart as I meet with God on a daily basis. Maybe we just need to confess to God the sin of busyness. 
Oh, I'm too busy to spend time with God. Then we are too busy. So let's take a moment and just talk to God about our busyness and ask Him to help us on a daily basis to walk with Him as we need to do. Let's go to prayer for just a couple of moments and then when we're done, I'll close our prayer time and we'll move on with the remainder of our service. Our Heavenly Father, you've told us to be still and know that you are God. And you've told us that in quietness and confidence will be our strength. You've told us to wait upon the Lord and he would strengthen our hearts. Oh God, I pray that as we take these truths from your word and as we've said, we personalize them, we internalize them, we put them to work in our lives. May we come to that point where the highlight of the day are the moments that we spend with our God. Father, may we not give you leftovers of our time or our energy, but rather may we make our walk with God the highest priority of our lives. Thank you for what you will teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just before the pastor gives the announcements, I have another handout for you tonight. In fact, I need a couple of you guys again to help me out. It's a little resource called The Quiet Hour. And uh, what we have, and everybody gets one, make sure the children get one, make sure each of the young people, what we have is a guide for you to spend an hour alone with God. I ask people all the time, do you know the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer? And they say, oh yes, it's one of our favorites. And then I love to say, have you ever had one? And people kind of look at me a bit perplexed. Well, folks, here's your opportunity. 
And it's something that's very self-explanatory. In this case, you're just writing a personal letter to God and then turning it into a prayer from your heart. But I hope you'll take this and maybe even within the next week, look for the opportunity, get to the place, set the time, and quiet your heart in the presence of God, and you'll be blessed. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here tonight. I know many of your schedules, not in great detail, but I know uh, at least a few of you here are a good 30, 35-minute drive away. You're here tonight. Some of you work in Ann Arbor, and some of you got up early this morning at 4.30 uh, to get to where you needed to be to fulfill your obligations and responsibilities. And I want to say to you, thank you tonight from my heart to yours for making um, the Word of God a priority, the gift that he's given to us and his evangelist. Um, who God has sent to minister, minister to our hearts. And I want you to know that I've been praying for you specifically, that God will bless you through the meetings in a way, not just tonight, uh, not just uh, in a certain truth that you hear, but that there will be eternal results from your investment in the Word of God this week. And I want to thank you from my heart to yours. Um, I also want to thank our evangelists. Uh, and I know the meetings are not over yet, but uh, my heart has been greatly encouraged by the practicality of the teaching and preaching. I mean, even, um, even the message, and it, it wasn't a sermon, but it was a message already this, more, already this evening. That we, and then we took, no, haven't you enjoyed the time, just that two or three minutes, just to pray together and quiet our hearts? I've, I've, I've been thrilled with it, and, uh, and I hope you have as well. Um, I want to encourage you this week. Um, Cindy and I were talking, she's in the nursery tonight, but we were talking earlier today in the few minutes we had together as we passed in, you know, before we came. And, uh, and we just talked about what God would have us to give this week uh, to our evangelist. And um, I cannot say that evangelist Tom Palmer and I know each other well. Um, I, he actually attended a meeting that I was preaching at in Damascus, Pennsylvania at a little um, a small church in the, on the Delaware River, actually. Um, beautiful old white building, had been there over 100 years, I think. And he was on vacation. He was hunting with his son on a, on a local dairy farm, and I was holding meetings. And uh, he came on Sunday, and I thought, oh, he didn't know there were revival meetings when he chose to come here on a week of vacation. What does an evangelist do when he goes on vacation and the church he's attending has revival meetings that week? Well, I found out. Uh, he came in camouflage uh, throughout the week of meetings, and uh, I've never forgotten that. We, we have not stayed in contact, um, but I appreciate him, and I love him in this sense because he's loving you, and he loves the Lord. So I would encourage you this week, you give as God leads you, okay? And if he leads you to give generously, you do that. And uh, whether you've come prepared tonight or not, or whether you've given last night, you, you follow the Lord's leading, and I, it, it's the right investment to make. So I'm going to pray, and then ushers, let's receive our love offering tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this beautiful gift of prayer that you've made so obvious to us in your word. And Lord, forgive us for our neglect of using it. Father, teach us to pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this evangelist. Thank you for some of the things we would call sacrifices that he's made. Thank you for his willingness to come and to preach your word to us. Father, I pray 
not just for this offering, but throughout this week, that we would give, and that we give out of a heart of love, as unto you, as we are able. And Lord, we know that you'll use it for your glory. Father, use us, I pray, to be a blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Sweet hour of prayer. Thank you. 513, we'll just sing the first verse, and then Brother Palmer will come for the message tonight. Let's stand as we sing this last song. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Just the first verse, 513. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word take your truth planted deep in us shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our needs of faith speak O lord and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Thank you. You may be seated. 
This is probably the last time I'll highlight anything specifically, but I want to again remind you of the little table out in the foyer area and some materials that are there from our ministry that I think would be a blessing and a help to you. Uh, I have learned that by producing and providing good materials, we can reinforce the pulpit ministry and maintain the work of God after the meetings. And you know, I feel like in a sense, these are just four short days, but if we can whet your appetite, we can stir a hunger and a passion within you for a subject like prayer, the impact will last long after meetings conclude in a couple of days. One of the items out on the table that may be of interest to many of you is entitled The School of Prayer, probably the most exciting and blessed Bible study series I've ever done in my life. Just a comprehensive study of the matter of prayer from the Word of God. Let me just give you a few of the subjects that are included. Uh, the prayer life of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, prayer in the book of Acts, suggestions for prayer meetings, developing a daily prayer time, famous Old Testament, famous New Testament prayers, uh, things that relate to revival praying, praying for evangelism, for missions, uh, the role of prayer and preaching, just a lot of real practical study materials. And if you're just sensing a growing desire to learn about the subject of prayer, uh, I think this is a resource that would be a great blessing to you. And uh, I know of folks who have shared with me that they took this and just began to study it either in an individual basis or even in a group basis and uh, found that over time God used it to greatly enhance their prayer life. And that's what we're interested in. That's what we desire. So take a look at that and the other items and hopefully they'll be able to be a blessing to you. Well, let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Tonight I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that deals with a matter of prayer that relates to many of our lives. I'll be very honest with you. <laughs> I don't know when I've ever been close to so many people dealing with times of physical suffering. My younger sister, two years younger than me, spent today at Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania, beginning her care plan for what just a couple of weeks ago was determined to be a very serious cancer condition that has invaded her body. Multiple places. Doctors have told her it's aggressive, it, it, it's advanced, and you know, it just seems like when things like that touch your life and touch the life of a loved one, sometimes they just overwhelm us. And yes, we know that we should pray about anything and everything that comes into life, but sometimes we struggle, don't we? 
to know how to do it. Well, tonight I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul speaks about an infirmity in his flesh. He'll even speak of it as a thorn in the flesh. Something that caused him pain. Tonight, I want to share with you from these few verses eight lessons about how to pray when the thorn remains. How do you pray when you are personally going through a time of physical suffering or when someone close to you or someone you know is going through a time of physical suffering? How do you go to God with that need. That's what we're going to consider tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look with me at verse 7 and I'll read through verse 10. Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities." in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, tonight we come before you with our Bibles open, with our eyes and ears and our minds open, but more than anything, our hearts are open. And we pray that you will use the message tonight in some ways not much more than just a a simple Bible study. But will you use the Word of God to minister to us? Lord, there are people sitting in this room tonight, I'm certain, who deal with chronic pain. Maybe some form of limitation or handicap. Maybe others, even a terminal illness. Maybe for others, it's just the effects of aging. And God, there are certainly those who are not here tonight that we know of, that we care for, that we love, who likewise are dealing with times of suffering in the body. And So Lord, tonight, as we learn together how to pray when the thorn remains, may we be instructed, may we be encouraged, And may we be challenged, I pray, and we'll thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are not certain what it was precisely that Paul was speaking of when he said in verse number 7 that he was given a thorn in the flesh. The one thing we do, however, know is that whatever it was, 
It was a humbling and even a hurtful experience. There have been those who have suggested a variety of things. Paul often spoke of personal weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, he writes, I was with you in weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, it was said, His bodily presence is weak. Paul understood what it was like to live with weakness. He also made the statement, we are also weak in him. There have been those who have suggested that possibly Paul dealt with an issue related to his eyesight because on several occasions he referenced his inability to see well. There are others who have said it may have had something to do with his speech because at times he spoke of his difficulty even in communicating verbally. There is even the possibility that in some way this thorn in the flesh came in the form of another person. Because he talks about a messenger of Satan that was able to buffet him, to literally strike him or hit him, as it were, in a painful way. We don't know what it was exactly. But whatever it was, it caused considerable suffering in the physical body to the Apostle Paul. But it's also in this passage that we have read tonight that Paul lays out for us what I believe are eight wonderful truths. Truths that you and I can take and program them right into our prayer life. When you're hurting... You're suffering. How do you pray? I want to give you these eight things tonight. To be honest with you, this is just a basic Bible study taken right out of these verses of Scripture. I would encourage you to take some notes and I would encourage you to use these notes as a prayer guide even in your own personal life. Lesson number one, determine to give God the glory. If you back up into the beginning of chapter 12, Paul talks about some rather incredible things that occurred in his life. He talks about a man who was caught up, as it were, into heaven who saw and heard some incredible things. And Paul speaks of having a personal acquaintance. Whether he knew the man or he was the man, it was an amazing experience for a human being. But it's worth noting that in verse 1, Paul said, it is not expedient, it is not appropriate for me doubtless to glory. Verse number 5, he said, Yet of myself I will not glory. And then you come to verse number 7, and he writes that this thorn in the flesh was given 
so that he would not be exalted above measure. In other words, Paul said his desire in life was to make sure that he did not take any glory that belonged to God. Now you and I have had the term, heard the term glorify God. We sing the beautiful song, To God Be the Glory, Fanny Crosby's wonderful hymn. Uh, we've quoted 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. We've understood even from doctrinal teaching that the purpose for which God created us was to bring glory to Himself. But have you ever really wondered what does it mean to glorify God? I like working practical definitions. And I've come to the point where I believe that glorifying God means that I allow my life to become a showcase in which the goodness and greatness of God are put on display. What does that mean? That means that even a time of suffering, infirmity, a thorn in the flesh, the buffeting, painful hit of the enemy, if it is in that form, do you know what it does in our lives? It gives us another platform from which we can make our God look good. Seven years ago, maybe it was a little longer than that now, my youngest brother was likewise diagnosed with cancer. We're not doing well in our family. We now have two out of four of us that have been through this experience or are going through this experience. And I remember the day that Brad was diagnosed. It was a total blindside. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew it was coming. And word began to move among the family and I went and picked up my dad and my dad and I were traveling together and he got on the phone with Brad. Brad was still at the hospital, had not even been able to go home quite yet following some testing. And my dad that afternoon made a statement to my brother that I know I've never forgotten and it was simply this. He said, Brad, when life is at its worst, God is at his best. You know, those simple words became my brother's passion. A passion that carried him through the most difficult days of his life. My brother had a major cancer surgery but developed very serious complications. 
And the result was that he went through a period of 50 days where he never put a bite of food in his mouth because he was allowing his body to heal. I remember talking to him during that time and he would say, I'm nearly going crazy. My body is craving something to eat. It's like my brain is screaming for food and I can't touch it. Folks, honestly, I don't have a clue as to how you would make it through a time like that. But God brought him through it and eventually his body did heal and did recover and it was about two years later I was doing a special project right around that time of my 50th birthday that I referred to last night and I was each day choosing someone to write a thank you note to and to let them know they had been a blessing to my life and I wrote to my brother and here's what I said. I said, I want to thank you for showing me how to make God look good when life got really bad. I said, if someday I am called upon to go through the kind of suffering you, will experience, you have experienced, your example will be something that I will turn to to help me glorify God during that time. Folks, may I remind you that God is more interested in His glory than your good. And that's why when life does get bad, there's a sense in which you can almost get excited. Please understand the context of what I'm saying. A couple of weeks ago when we became aware of the developing situation in my sister's body and basically it's been a downhill slide ever since then, it's been amazing in the communication that has gone on between the family that there's been one firm commitment by every one of us. And it's this, here we go again and God is going to look good through it. My dear sister, the day after her diagnosis posted a message on Facebook that basically said, yesterday I got the news that every one of us dreads to hear in our life. And she went on and shared a few thoughts and then she said something like this. She said, I am determined that I will battle this disease every day of my life until I am cancer free. And then she said this, cancer-free because either God takes my cancer from me or takes me from my cancer. 
Folks, I don't know what else to say except that is an amazing testimony to the fact that there is a good and a great God. And one way or another, my dear sister will be cancer free one of these days. That's what it's all about. Some of you have heard a little bit of the experiences or may know a little bit of the experiences our family has already been through this year with my dad's situation. I lived for a month on the seventh floor of the Hospital for Advanced Medicine at Geisinger Medical Center in Danville while my dad literally fought for his life. You know what began to happen on that floor? It became a sacred place. That family lounge, that family waiting room. I'm telling you, if tonight I got off the elevator and stepped into that room, there is no doubt in my mind that I would stand there and weep. Because God was on the seventh floor. And our family, though we were in the greatest crisis of our lives, and at times my dad was one of the sickest men in the whole hospital, our family determined that people would know about God. I carried with me during those days a little half sheet of paper that I had prepared weeks before the whole incident I did it for my own benefit. It was entitled, These Things I Know, Believe, and Trust About My God. My God is a sovereign God, a wise God, a powerful God, a perfect God, a faithful God, and a loving God. At the bottom of the page I wrote, it is because of the sovereignty, the wisdom, the power, the perfection, the faithfulness, and the love of my God that I can deal with yesterday, live today, and face tomorrow. He was, is, and will be all that I need for everything that I need. It is my view of my God that will condition my perspective and my responses to life as it comes to me. My God is enough to help me address the failures of my past, the frustrations in the present, and my fears for the future. With Him, life is not just better, it is the best. Suddenly, we're tossed into that incredible experience. I made arrangements to get a whole stack of these copied and for weeks was giving them out to other families who ended up on the seventh floor in crises just like we were. I had people coming to me asking for that sheet of paper. I wish I could describe to you some of the times when we stood in circles of prayer, holding hands with other families, And we cried and we cried and we prayed and we prayed. It got to the point where the elevator door would open and I'd step off and there'd be people coming for their daily hugs. We started getting trays of food left for our favorite waiting room family. Folks, we were in one of the greatest times of need we'd ever had. But our family said... God is going to be glorified through this situation. 
And I'm here to tell you that when you look at infirmity, suffering, illness, handicaps, injuries, when you look at all those things that way, your attitude changes instantly. When I got word a couple weeks ago of what was going on in my sister's life, my first response was, here we go again. Here we go again. I had my Bible open tonight. I was just looking. Maybe you want to look with me real quick. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Jesus dealt with a blind man. You know, it's always interesting how some people have to try and figure it all out. I think it's called analysis paralysis or something like that. The disciples in verse 2, John chapter 9, asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. His blindness is an opportunity for God's goodness and greatness to be seen. Turn over to John chapter 11. Lazarus of Bethany is sick. Mary and Martha, his sister, send word to Jesus. Verse 3, Lord, he... Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Folks, instead of getting upset and angry and bitter when your body breaks down, when you suffer an injury or a limitation or... A disease takes over. May I remind you that God has just put you and yours in an incredible position to make Him look really good. People notice when life is bad, but God looks good. They can't help it. How do you pray when the thorn remains? You pray that God will be glorified. Let me quickly move on. Number two, ask God to remove the thorn, the infirmity, the pain. It's interesting that in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is very explicit when he says in verse 8, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that he might remove it. What is Paul doing there? He's just fulfilling the simple command, ask and let your request be made known unto God. Folks, that's the beauty, that's the blessing of prayer. Prayer is, remember, the expression of my need. It's going to God and saying, 
this part of my body hurts or this part of my body doesn't work or this part of my body is failing. And we ask God to remove the infirmity. A very important part of prayer. But it's important that we quickly move on and understand that though Paul asked for his will to be done three times, remove it, there was something more important than his will, and that was God's will. Now, there are times when God does heal, when God does restore, when God does put people back together. And again, He does that as a demonstration of His goodness and His greatness. But you know what? In Paul's case, God's will was different than Paul's will. And that leads us to a third important lesson, and it's this, rely upon God's grace. Apparently, God's response to Paul went something like this, Paul, I choose not to remove your infirmity. I'm not going to take away the thorn in the flesh. Rather, I'm going to give you my grace to help you deal with it. You want another one of my definitions? Here goes. God's grace is all that God is for all that I need. God's grace. Someone has defined God's grace as God's ambulance rushing to my assistance in a time of crisis. God's grace is everything that God is when I need Him the most. And so Paul came to the realization that though it was his will, it was his prayer request that the physical infirmity be removed, it was God's will that the physical infirmity stay, and God would give him his grace to deal with it. May I remind you that Jesus taught that in prayer we were to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I've heard preachers preach on prayer and teach that in prayer you back God into a corner. You twist God's arm up behind His back. You butter Him up, so to speak, by saying lots of nice things And they've taught it as if prayer is the means by which I get God to give me what I want. Folks, that's an insult to the sovereignty of God. Are you aware of the fact that prayer is the means by 
which I can ask for my will to be done. But prayer is also the means by which I accept what God wants as His will to be done. In other words, it's through prayer that I determine, I discern the will of God so that the known will of God in heaven can be the done will of God here on earth. Can I tell you that that truth alone will change your prayer life? I have found myself more than ever in my life saying, not only in my prayers, but in my conversation, may the will of the Lord be done. Why? Because God's way and God's will are perfect. Men and women, you and I can trust a God who isn't going to make a mistake. And sometimes God's will is so much different, but so much better even than our will. We get praying, oh God, life would be so much better if I didn't have to limp or use this walker. God, life would be so much better if I didn't have this pain or inability to function. God, life would be so much better if I was just stronger. And God said, no. No, my life, your life would be so much better if through your life my grace is demonstrated as sufficient. Number four, allow brokenness to become reality. Find it interesting that in verse 9, Paul says this, my strength is made perfect. In weakness. In other words, Paul was basically at that point where he realized when he couldn't, God could. Do you know what I've discovered in my life? The defining moments of my life are the moments when I abandon my will and I accept God's will. When I become nothing, so that God becomes everything. When in my insufficiency, I recognize His all-sufficiency. Brokenness is that experience where God brings me to the end of myself so that I can have a new beginning with God. May I remind you that what we often call an accident in our plan for life is really just an incident in God's plan for life. See, God has the unique ability even to take a human tragedy and bring about something good. My wife and I go almost yearly to a church in Alabama. And we know the church well. We know the people in the church well. 
We were saddened just weeks ago to get an email from the pastor that Jimmy Stormer had died that morning in a tragic automobile accident. We've known Jimmy now for a number of years. One of the, the finest young men, godly young men, director of the church, RU ministry. But a young man who's paralyzed from the waist down. He lives his life in a wheelchair. Through the years, we've used a gospel track that Jimmy had written, and it was his own testimony. And on the front cover of that little paper was a picture of him as a teenager with a Superman shirt on with a big old S on his chest. And as you begin, Jimmy said, that was basically me. All about me. And then God allowed a diving accident in the Gulf of Mexico to change everything. And in that little pick paper, Jimmy went on to explain that it was that day when he suddenly reached a point of utter helplessness, paraly or paralyzed, that he came to the end of himself, and that's when he turned to God. Folks, we don't welcome crises, tragedies, trauma into our lives. None of us pray for it. But may I remind you that trouble is often God's tool to teach us to trust. And when God brings things into our lives, though we would not have desired them, we sure wouldn't have checked that box on the order form. Because God is God, He can take that and use that in our lives. So when we're in that time when the thorn remains, let brokenness become a reality in our lives. As a result, number five, be thankful for your infirmity. Paul continues in verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I don't doubt for a minute there are people sitting right in this room tonight who, if given the opportunity, could tell us of the most difficult experience of their lives and they could do so by telling us they wouldn't want to go through it again, but they wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Why? Because through it, God accomplished things that never would have been accomplished in their lives. Can you thank God for an illness? Can you thank God for an injury? Can you thank God for an infirmity? Yes, if you recognize that God is using that to work in my life and to work through my life. Thank God. Number six, access the power of God in your life. Verse number nine, Paul continues that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I remember reading a little statement one time that it said, if you meet me, 
and forget me, you've lost nothing. But if you meet me and forget Christ, you've lost everything. What is that saying? It's basically saying, for me to live is Christ. And every day of my life is an opportunity to do just that. To communicate Christ to a watching world, to a wandering world. Folks, when life is all perfect, yes, there's a testimony. But when life is imperfect, the testimony is greater. I can't help but think of Paul in Acts 16 in the jail in Philippi. I love this little one-liner of bees bound and bruised and battered and beaten and bleeding and miserable. Well, that doesn't start with a B, but you understand what I'm saying. There he and Silas are in the prison in the middle of the night. Midnight comes, it's dark. What does Acts 16 tell us? They prayed and sang praises. And then the phrase that always gets me is this, and the prisoners heard them. They were used to the cursing and the screaming and the crying and the moaning, the horrendous sounds of a jailhouse in the night. And suddenly a prayer and praise service breaks out and they couldn't help but notice. Pray that the power of God will rest in our lives. Number seven, pray that we maintain a right attitude. Notice in verse 10, Paul says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. He speaks of reproaches, necessities, persecution, and distresses. Attitude is everything. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is often your attitude towards your problem. It was interesting when my dad was hospitalized. We became very close. We ministered for several weeks to a family who likewise had a dad in the hospital. But a dad who cursed out medical staff and a dad who kicked a nurse one time during a time of treatment and I thought to myself isn't it amazing when you know the Lord your attitude is different and it should be and then finally number eight focus on God's strength it's amazing to me that Paul ended out this whole testimony with these words For when I am weak, then am I strong. I've adopted a little motto in my life. I wish I could say it always came easy to live it. But it simply says, welcome weakness. You know, I kind of assumed at one point in my life, That if I'm maturing spiritually, 
if I'm growing in the Lord, if I'm one of the saints who's being perfected, that eventually I would become a super saint. Boy, have I been in for a big surprise. You know what I'm finding? Weakness is becoming more and more and more a part of life. Whether it's an allergy spell on Sunday morning when it's time to preach, or whether it's an area of chronic pain, or whether it's an area of something that just isn't working like it's supposed to, or whether it's artificial this, or whatever it may be. You know what? Weakness. But it's okay. I just got done, I told the pastor today, I just got done reading Warren Wearsby's wonderful book, 50 People That Every Christian Ought to Know biographical sketches of 50 people who made a wonderful impact on the world for God. I just basically read one or two a day just as part of my devotional life. You know what I discovered? These are supposedly the cream of the crop in God's service. But I was amazed at how many of them lived with incredible physical limitations. Invalids. Blindness, chronic pain. Some of them bedridden for the last 10 or 20 years of their life. Others who lived with constant bouts of depression. And I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? Here's a book about 50 incredible servants of God. People who lived their lives for God in marvelous ways. And to be honest with you, it's a book about a bunch of basket cases. But their weakness allowed God's strength to be perfected. I've reached the point where I'm trying to understand welcome weakness. Because it's God's way of letting me live my life through His strength. Folks, I want to read something to you as I close tonight. It's a little poem that I clipped out of a, of a magazine. And it simply says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. When the thorn remains, it's all about our great God. We bow our heads and could we?